0: Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, I wanted to uh, start off with... Uh, with today's talk uh, oh, With things I'm very uncomfortable talking about <laughs> um, And that's uh, Fundraising um, Not my favorite thing, but I figured we would just get it out of the way so then we could get into Galatians 6 and really hit it hard um, Oh Pardon me I'm a little tired um so, yeah, so've been working on some new ideas with revolution. Um, me and uh, Josh are, are putting together a, a small group of folks to help us uh, organize the church a little bit more and do better fundraising and and being you know thinking in more proactive ways to move forward because you know honestly, I've just been kind of overwhelmed with trying to you know parent, run this church, and make decisions. And so sometimes when I get overwhelmed, I, I just shut down. And um, so I'm getting a group of people to meet with on a regular basis to kind of give us some good ideas and continue to help us move forward with this uh, awesome gathering. I have some group that we have here um, and and move forward with, with that. But um, right now, like, Uh, We have not uh, met payroll this month. We have not uh, brought much money in this month. And so one thing I would like to ask you is if this is a place where you feel like you're getting good teaching, you're getting good stuff to grow, you you feel like it's something that you believe in and you're gaining something from, and I I know times are tough right now, so, you know, I get that. But um, if you could uh, think about helping support revolution, Um, As we continue to grow and move forward Uh, And and I just want to make it clear it's like supporting revolution isn't supporting something that's just a fly-by-night type of thing you know, we've been doing revolution for over You know gosh, I'm 46 now and I was 18 when I started it with some friends Um, It's almost 28 years of, of doing revolution church um, consistency is something that revolution has always had we may have not been in every city but we've moved to different cities and, and had different visions but we've always stayed consistent with our message and with this community and being online and um, I believe revolution is something that's worth your support worth putting your financial support in to help us continue to do this we're a non church you know so everything's tax deductible um, but that is the nature of this beast you know we don't have commercials or sponsorships or anything like that um so i guess what i'm asking you to do is is if you're possible if you have a little extra money in your life which i know few of us do but if you do if you could help revolution by going to revolutionchurch.com and hitting the click uh clicking the support button and making a donation it would really help us continue to move forward um it helps me be a dad. It helps me be able to do my work. It helps me allows me to do the studying that I have to do. Um, you know, I'm, I'm all self-taught, folks. And I have been for years. So I have to read quite a bit, study quite a bit. Um, and also help people in their lives. Uh, some of the things that I don't talk about much here, but there are things like that that are going on right now. And um, we could really use your support. Um, I'm not a fundraiser. I don't like fundraising because of my family history, to be honest with you. But it is a necessity for us to survive. And right now, we are in a place where we really do need your help. So um, anything helps at this point, but we really could use your support um, financially to keep this thing going, and uh, I'm hoping with this leadership group that I'm putting together that we will be able to even build onto that and go further where we will at least have to have some staff again, because we've had staff in the past and things like that. Um, Often what's gotten Revolution in trouble is my stances on crazy uh, things like LGBTQ people and inclusion and things like that. Um, Sometimes has cost us funding and cost us, you know. but it's the right thing and we're always gonna do that. We're always gonna take the road less traveled. We're always gonna do the right thing. but it would be nice to be able to be supported for doing the right thing. You know, we need financial support, so we continue to take these stands, so we continue to help move, uh, move these ideas further, you know, get out to a broader audience, um, to make this message a message that the church really hears, uh, to cause a reformation in the church, which I really believe is possible. And I believe that we can do, and I believe we have the right message. I mean, if you look at the folks that we have here in this community, how we argue well, how we're able to come together with diversity of thoughts, different political backgrounds, different religious belief systems, and come together as a community and share these principles of Christianity, whether if you take it personally as faith, or if you're just using these as principles in your life to make the world a better place, that's what revolution is providing. And we've always tried to provide that. And so we need your help to continue that work, to continue to help us to provide that to other people. And so when the next thing that comes up that says, you know, who's going to stand? We can make a stand that makes a difference, you know, but only you, we can only do that with you, you know. And it, it, it's, 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 it's strange that the more affirming, the more open we've become, the harder it's <laughs> become to, to do this. And the financial cost has been great because we wanted to take stands. But if we can show people that you can have a community that does that, maybe we can encourage other communities to actually take these stands. You know, um, I know when I became affirming and I reached out to other pastors and preachers and they said, well, you know, some of them who wanted to, they said, but you know, look at the hit you took. How could we, they were all afraid. They're all afraid because they have bills because they have families, because they have these... And I'll tell you, you know, back then it was harder for me to understand because I didn't have kids, you know? So I was like, oh, you're just hypocrites, you know, you got to take the chance. But I realized that these people are like, you know, this is my job too. This isn't just my purpose, but this is my job, and I've got to feed my kids and feed my family, you know? And so I understand that because now I'm in a position where I have to feed my family, but I still feel like I have to preach things that are radical. I still have to bring truths that aren't popular all the time. Um, but you are the ones that make that possible. I'm just a mouthpiece, you know? But you are, the, you are the organization. You are revolution. And only through your support, and really right now your financial support, is how this message and how this ministry continues. I know a lot of you people who love my mom and care about my mom and, and, and uh, you know especially with the film, winning all these awards and things and her legacy. I mean, this is a part of her legacy as well. I mean, Steve, you know, who she interviewed is a regular member of church and will be on my leadership group and is, a, you know, and is just a good friend, but will also be one of the people helping direct this ministry in this into the future, help put revolution into the future. So we're going to continue this hard work, but if you believe in it, uh, a monthly support would really be appreciated um, and help us so much. Um, you know, Times are tough, and, I, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not happy about that. But I've, I've tightened my belt here at the house and, you know, making sure I find the cheapest gas and doing all those things. I don't take this job for granted. You know, I've been blessed to be able to do it for 25 years, 26, 27 years. And I love this work, and I never want to stop this work because it is in my soul. It is a part of my being, it is who I am, and uh, it brings me life. And uh, seeing you all take this message and put feet to it uh, is radical. It's crazy. I mean, I get your messages and you guys tell me, like, the conversations you're having and the people you're talking to. And it blows my mind. But in order for us to continue to do this kind of stuff, um, we'll need your help. I mean, it's, I'm in a bit of a dire situation right now, and I usually wouldn't open up asking people to donate money. I I don't like doing that. But we have to do that. And and honestly, I probably could be better at it. And I apologize for waiting to the last minute, but I've always, you know, as long as we've made just enough, you know. I mean, I probably haven't had a full paycheck in over, you know, at least six months. I think I had one after December when everybody gets in their tax write-offs. That was nice. So it's been maybe three months, but, but, It goes and goes, so no one's getting rich here, but what we wanna do is make this a church that has a high platform, people can go to, or a a gathering, whatever you wanna call it right now. You can see I'm nervous talking about money. Um, A gathering that people can come to and be a part of, and we can continue to reach people. You know, The way a lot of these folks are doing on their YouTube channels and things like that, that we can continue to move forward, reach people, And change our lives through thinking differently through arguing well through living a life of grace and and living a life that Christ Kind of laid out for us and that the Apostle Paul built on and we can continue to move in that way where we can be communities that are different communities that see the differences and are able to despite our differences come together and become community and argue well and compromise and embrace the contradiction and so I believe in that firmly. So, if you want to, you know, support something that's been around for 28 years, and you love our work, and you know, you might just say, "Well, you love Tammy Faye's work." Well, I promise you, this is my work is built off my mom's work. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my mom, and even some of my dad's earlier work. So, you know, we just want to love people, care about people, but help this world become a better place and see the church become a better place—a place where everyone is welcomed. Uh, despite their their backgrounds, despite their, their thoughts, you know, and letting people have different donations. So, um, yeah, someone's asking if someone can attach the uh, link for the donating. The donation link is revolutionchurch.com. It's literally the first thing you can click on on revolutionchurch.com, and you can donate there. So you can go to the website revolutionchurch.com and support us there. Um, so be grateful for that. It's been a weird week. Uh week started off with uh, someone stole a whole load of laundry <laughs> in my in the laundry map in my apartment complex, my, a whole load of my laundry. Unfortunately it was like my kids' clothes. So I'm having to deal with that. And uh it's been a weird week, guys. Uh last night I had some people attack me for saying that I appreciated the the Jessica Chastain's work on the eyes of Tammy Faye, but she would just put up a post of the interview she did with Steve, uh, one of the acting and one of the real one, and I were just saying, thank you for my mom's legacy, you know, now now let me make this clear, like, you know, there are scenes in that movie that did not happen, there are things that aren't perfect in that movie, and I get that. Um, Unfortunately, we, we have such like this binary thinking in the world that we think that if I Go to a premiere or do something like that. It must be my complete one hundred percent full stamp of approval. That's just not life. That's just not how life works. Nothing is perfect. Nothing is great. But the fact is, is, my mother's legacy has been revived through this film, and that moment with her and Steve has 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 revived discussions about AIDS and thing and, and what, what what the what the gay community had to go through in the eighties. You know, I, I watched a documentary on. Um, uh, uh, Andy Warhol and, it was, and, and the, the part about AIDS in the 80s was really powerful because I think we forget how horrific that time was for human beings and how many people and loved ones that people like Steve lost just everyone was dying and how fearful we all were of the AIDS epidemic you know and knowing that my mom was able to do part of that and be now recognized for that is great you know to see Hollywood doing restoration when, my, when the church hasn't you know Um, And it's funny, I've kind of realized in this role, you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. You know, sometimes I have half the people in the, you know, saying, you know, denounce your dad. We don't like him, denounce him. Now, how dare you like this movie that made your mom look like this or this or this? I'm like, you know, my parents were human beings. They were complicated figures. Maybe some of those things that you see in the film didn't happen, but there's other things in their lives that did happen that you'd probably be like, clench your pearls over. You know, they were human beings. I come from a long line of haphazardly human people, folks. But that's what's amazing is what grace does through that. You know, when I was talking to Steve uh, the other night, and I was just telling him how grateful I was that he was still here after watching the Andy uh, Warhol documentary. And I just, I, I was so surprised that he came through that time with such love and who he is. And I said, I would be a lot angrier, you know, and hurt. And he said, well, you know, grace, it's God's grace pulled me through. I mean, I do have my moments of anger. I do have my moments of, of being upset, but it was God's grace that pulled me through. Um, I mean, it, it's such a, an example of how vital grace is to get us through hell and back. You know, it's so vital that this message, and that has been the message since I've been pastoring revolution, that has been the main core message of revolution is the message of grace. And that message that gets us through the horrificness of losing the people we loved. I was thinking about that verse earlier in Galatians where it says, Beware of biting and devouring one another. You may be consumed by others. And, and I thought, well, what does it look like to be consumed? And I said, well, I thought to this. I said, look at me. I've been consumed by others, by those who bite and devour. I've been bite and devoured by by the left and by the right. That was the one thing about my parents' scandal, is that it wasn't split into two groups. It was everybody didn't like it. And I said, you know, somebody else you could look at and see what does it look like who's been devoured or been consumed? Uh, Steve Peters. He was consumed by a disease. He was consumed by America. He was consumed by this culture and how horrific he was they were to not only him but his loved ones in the horrible time that he needed them. And grace got him through and I am so grateful that my sweet mama, my little imperfect mama, uh, you know, if if she didn't eat enough, she could get really grumpy and so we had to feed her. Feed Tammy Um, was a part of showing him grace and love and hope in that from a group of people that he did not expect to hear that from and see that from. You know, this, this church is not just... What I love about revolution right now, and I am pushing this hard, is what I, I, I love about revolution is it's not that moment in time where my mom and Steve did that interview is, is has become encapsulated within this church, within this group. Maybe I'm going to call it a church again. Who knows? But within us... Because I'm here, Steve is here, Steve is an integral part of the leadership of this church, I'm a part of the integral leadership. We are continuing this work to go further and go what is the next moment in time that needs us to bring hope, even if the church doesn't recognize it, even if people don't recognize it, even if it takes 20, 30, 40 years after we're gone to be recognized. That is the work that we're doing here. We feel that grace is vitally, vitally important message To teach, but we can't do it without your support. So there you go. There's my pitch. We really need your help, guys. Regular support would even help even better. You know, maybe you know a group or donation. Maybe your bot. You know, I know one one friend of mine. His 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 work doubles. Like they'll what he gives, his work will will give like half. They'll donate half more to that. You know, so they're they're they're. There's all sorts of different ways you know, to, to donate money or, and to help get your donation even bigger or to ask other people to donate. Um, maybe you have friends with millionaires. Maybe Steve Jobs is, no, Steve Jobs, not Steve Jobs. <laughs> you know, maybe you're a friend with a millionaire. Talk to your millionaire friends. We need help. We've got to continue to get grace going out there. You know, and, and how we can show grace to people, even those who've hurt us and, and killed us and destroyed us, at least how can we sit down and talk with them and let them know what they've done and how can we even help them maybe find some redemption in this? Um, or how can we at least pray that people will be brought into their lives? you know? But that's the great thing about community is that we can talk to each other and maybe figure out other ways like, hey, I'm really struggling with how to show grace to this person and we can say, well, let's, let's figure this out together. Let's do this together. Uh, anyhow, Galatians 6 is where we're going today, folks. Thanks for listening to me. Revolution has been a roller coaster my whole life. And I, I, and the reason I'm setting up this leadership group, I, I just wanted to tell you is because, um, because I've, I, I, I've done so much with this church over time. I've seen it grow. I've seen it shrink. I've seen it do all this. And I'm just overwhelmed right now. So we're really, I'm really trying to get a group of us together that can help me do this because I'm tired. And uh, but I love this work, I love this message, I love Galatians and I love grace so much. And so, we're not gonna stop, I can't stop for me. It's not a choice as long as I can pay this phone bill and put this camera on. Um, I hope that I don't have to do these under a bridge, and that's not to sound crazy, but it's just the fact is, like, I live in you know state housing in Washington. I mean, I'm living at my minimum right now. Um, And, uh, trying to do my best at this. Life is funny. Life is really funny, folks. Um, You don't end up where you think you would um, all the time. But, uh, but we're gonna keep this thing going. All right, Galatians 6. Let's hit it. Bum, bum. Um... Thank you, Roberta. I love you too. Um, the last chapter, Galatians six. Usually, I do a <laughs> I do a whole overview after. So next week might be a complete overview where I might just decide to go somewhere else because I really we've really I've really melted Galatians. January, February, March, six chapters, and I've got it all the way into March. So um, I love this book, folks. I can't get enough of it. Um, if I encourage you to do anything, is study that book till you're blue in the face because it is revolutionary. Um, it's really, really good. Well, um, let's 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 see how old Paul sums things up for us today, my friends. If anyone is detected, okay. Let's end with the twenty. What what he said back in five. Uh, 26, he says, let not become conceited competing against one another or envying one another. You know, and I, I think I talked about this last week is, is like how there used to be this really cool church when I was in Atlanta and I envied that church you know, that was down the street because they had like a coffee bar and Wi-Fi when that was strange and we were meeting in a we were meeting in an old club. Actually, now I look back, I'm like, man, we had such a cool setup. Like, I can't believe I envied anybody else. And now what I envy i envy myself is I wish we had that thing back. Um, I wish we were able to meet in the masquerade like we used to and, uh, and do all that. Because that was really a neat time. Um, but it's, it's funny uh, when you look back. And, and what I like about that is what it says here is, you know, don't envy because it's not worth it. And it's true because what you envy one day later down the road, you may be like, what was, what was that about? You know, where was that even coming from? You know This whole comparison, this only need for us to constantly compare, which is kind of what we're going to be talking about today, is wanting what someone else has, or wanting to be what someone else is, or looking like someone else is, does. But, uh, so let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. My friends, if anyone is detected in transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourself are not tempted. It goes on to say, bear one another's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. Now why I think this is, is vitally, vitally important here is, and I, I like the New Living Translation because it talks about, you know, you should restore those who've fallen. And if you think you're too good to restore someone, you're really a nobody. I, I, I like that translation because it's so simple. Um, but it says, restore such a one in, a, in the spirit of gentleness. Take care of yourself that you are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens in this way you act in is Christ. For those who are nothing think of something they think they are something they deceive themselves uh, And the idea here is and I love that because what Paul is very particular what Paul's talking about in this situation is like he's like be careful you know you need to restore each other and you need to restore each other out of gentleness and, and, and be careful not to fall in the same, same same issues now the same issues here would be legalism. And legalism, I think, is probably one of the biggest, easiest things for us to to fall into, is wanting to take over the job of grace, you know, wanting to be good enough, wanting to do the works, wanting to do all those things. Um, But it could be any situation. But this idea of restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. If someone has transgressed, has someone has made a mistake, It does not say destroy them. It does not say shame them. It does not say give them a harsh talking to. It says restore them within gentleness. Now, if we are to take people who've made mistakes and fallen and restore them, but we want to keep accountability, even within that accountability, it's saying that accountability lies gentleness. Now, don't get mad at me. Go ahead and get mad at me. I don't care. I'm too tired, too old. Um, You can get mad at me if you want and talk about, because all of our enemies are personal. When it's your enemy, it's personal. I don't want to restore that person to gentleness. I want to restore that person with a punch. Um, You don't know what they did to me. No, you know, I get it. I get it. But restore each other in gentleness. And I think if the church actually followed the scriptures, I think if people who say that they believe that this is the word of God, who even have a a sixth grade understanding, which I feel like is most preachers, (laughs) to be honest with you, Um, Christianity is a faith that, like, Big ones are loving God with all your heart. Your neighbor, equally as important, is loving your neighbor as yourself. Forgiveness and restoration with gentleness. And I always wondered, ever since I was a kid, since my parents fell from grace or fell from their big empire, whatever you want to call it, why the church has never set up A restoration process that restores in gentleness, but that also restores in the way that Christ restores, restores us back to things. You know, people say, well, we could restore them, but they can never be a pastor again. And I think in certain situations, you're completely correct. But I also think there's other situations where it's going, no, you know, we can restore them. We can get them back to teaching and doing these things. It's just sitting down and going, hey, this is an issue in your life that you need to look at. And that is getting in the way of your work. You know, I mean, that's what I have good friends for in my life and and people like Pete who are able to make, "Ah, Jay, I think you're, 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 you know, you're missing the mark here, man. You know, you're getting distracted by this or or, or this. Or when I go to my analyst and see my analyst, my analyst is like, you're carrying a lot of darkness with you. And this isn't stuff that you need to carry into the, you know, you've got a lot of pain and a lot of suffering and and, and this family stuff that's very personal that you're carrying into that. we got to work through that and work that out and, and figure out how to, to heal those pains so you can continue to do what you want to do. And maybe what you want to do after you that stuff is healed isn't even what you do. But the fact is that we're going to do that and we're going to do it in a way that's gentle and that's kind but still honest. And I've always wondered why we don't have in the church a better restoration process, especially in some of these giant denominations. You know, for like my father, it would have been the assemblies of God. I mean, they didn't have a a gentle restoration process or a restoration process at all set up for any of their preachers. You know, a lot of it would be like, well, you give six months off. I mean, six months off, that doesn't do anything. You know, what about therapy and counseling? Things like that, I've often thought you know, there's some denominations that do say they do this. You know, I always thought it would be a great thing as if there was just an interdenominational group of restoration people and they had a facility that every time people like this fell not just pastors but people in the church and lay people as well could go to. In the first few months, don't even deal with anybody in your own denomination, so you don't have to deal with any of that, shit, you know, because that's always like a guilt trip, you know, maybe. You know, you got, you know, so you have to deal with other people in other denominations and see where they're coming from and go through that because they're probably going to be a little more gentle with you. Um, but also honest, you know, and, and in an area where you could disagree well, but a place where people could go when a fall happens, when it must, and be restored. I often think about how different my life would have been had there been some sort of restoration process for my family, you know, had there been some sort of group or, you know, I mean, the closest thing I could say was like 12 steps. My mom had overdosed on Valium and Ativan, and we went to Betty Ford Clinic for a little bit right before we lost Heritage USA, and I think a little bit after, um, after PTL and there was more restoration in those rooms than I'd seen anywhere. You know, and I'm like, man, what if there was something, uh, something set up like that? And the reason it should be, and it almost seems too much too late, uh, or too little too late, is that that's the message. So we have literally, you know, when I was growing up, I remember hearing the the church is the only army that shoots its wounded. Um, but now I'm finding out that's not as true anymore. It's not just the church. Um, I, I've seen a lot of people who, you know, on on online now that if you don't add up to what they think or what they thought, now, they sh- now they're shooting, their wounded. It seems to have spread like a bad disease. And, and it's too bad that we never saw that coming and didn't realize that we were a part of that and that we should have stopped that because that's our job. That is our job as a community of church, the church. If, I don't, if you don't believe in God but you still want to follow the Christian way, that's part of the Christian way. That's part of the Paul way. That's the part of the arguing well. That is part of grace. You are accepted. Um, There's always gonna be sins that we think are impartable Being a, Being in the position I've been in for 28 years, I have met with people who've had sins that you would not like at all, that no one would like, conservative or liberal. But you learn to find even grace in those situations and restoration in those situations, and they're often ugly situations. But that's grace. Goes there, and what you do is you're able to say, How do we stop this cycle of repeat offense? How do we stop this cycle of hurting others? You know, um, how do we stop people from, you know, like my father was sexually abused when he was a kid. You know, luckily he didn't go on to abuse, but his sexuality was confused and all that kind of thing. But how, you know, how do we stop these cycles of warring families, of all this stuff? You know, how do we live in grace so we don't go back? Restoration is important, and I think it's very interesting that Paul has this in this very small letter where he's just said, be wary of not biting and devouring one another. Be careful of destroying one another. He's literally trying to keep this community from imploding and from killing each other, maybe with just words, but maybe violence as well. You know. And now he's saying, you guys got to restore each other. I mean, he's ending this whole thing with saying like, you know, I wish you guys would be castrated who are trying to do this. Paul's mad and angry, but then he's going... All right, now here comes the point of the end of this whole letter is that you guys have got to restore each other with gentleness and kindness. I mean, that's powerful. That is a powerful way to end this letter. I remember when we first started Galatians, someone was like, Galatians is a bit harsh. And even at my school, we say it's a bit harsh. And I was like, I don't think it's harsh. Get through the whole thing. And there's parts of it that have to be harsh. Sometimes we have to be harsh with grace because we have to scream it from the rooftops. We have to shake people. And they go, and You go. What have you done? Why have you turned from a super... Oh my God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen is, is you are accepted. But the fact is not only that you are accepted, they are accepted as well. We are accepted as a community and we must learn to live as a community with Grace. We must learn to disagree and disagree well. Even if the end of the disagreement has to be a compromise. So if you want to celebrate your holidays, not to be who you are, but to do these things, then go celebrate those holidays. And if you want to invite me over once I've decided that it's no longer offensive, then invite me over. But until then, let you do your thing, I'll do my thing. But we still need to be a community of grace and love and hope I mean, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying like, yeah, you guys tried to kill each other. Now be gentle and humble. Take care of each other. Why right before that, he said, don't get proud. Don't compare yourselves to one another. Because, you know, the Gauls might be coming out of hearing this letter thinking like, oh, well, look, you know, he handed the, the Judaizers their ass. So we look really great. And he's going, don't be proud. Don't do that. And then he's saying to the other, don't be envious. You guys are in this together. That's not how community works. I'm preaching today, folks. Oops. Um, And it says, For those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. And what Paul is saying in this is he's saying, If you think somehow you are special, beyond beyond the point of restoring or helping other people, you are fooling yourself and you are truly nothing. You have forgotten the fact we all fall short of the glory of God. Not one of us is good. You know, I I used to have an issue with, uh, I used to, you know, I always would think about, like, the uh, uh, born into sin, you know, the fall and all that stuff. And honestly, it doesn't matter, because, I mean, mean, people are all shits. So, uh, you know, that's fine by me. Um, Because we do need this kind of thing to realize that we are accepted, that we all have mistakes, that we all have our issues, but when we think we are too important, much like Jerry Falwell did with my dad, or even Jimmy Swaggart at one point said, Jim Baker is a cancer in the body of Christ. That is thinking that you are too important to restore someone. Do you understand? And we all know, most of us know how those stories end. When we think we are too valuable to pick someone up. And the great thing about my folks when I was a kid is I never saw that they ever never thought they were too important to help anybody. I remember when Richard, uh, no, Richard, oh gosh, Oral Richard Roberts, Oral Roberts's kid went through a divorce, and it was really bad. And I remember my dad said, "Why don't you come over and host some shows? You know, you got to get you back on your feet. Come on, host some shows for me over at PTL. Just I'll take a few days off, and you can host the show." People need to see that you're okay, you're alive, and that there's life after divorce. And this was a huge no-no in the Assemblies of God. But my, you know, who cares? This is, this, maybe it's, maybe the Assemblies of God is too important to restore someone who's been divorced, but, but people aren't. My dad wasn't at the time. And, um, and, and so <laughs> there's beauty in restoration. There's beauty in loving people. I always worry whenever I see big mega churches and all these different, even small churches and people fall apart and people get canceled because I wonder who's going to be there for them. You know, and it's something that we try to people, oh, canceling's not a big deal. You know, man, listen, as somebody who went through it with my family, I still live through that cancellation every day. I am still a baker. I am still the kids of Baker. Every time I post something, something comes up. People say mean shit. I wrote something very heartfelt yesterday, and someone goes, oh, wasn't your mom like 90% makeup before she died? I mean, you know, that it's a shitty comment, you know. Um, but that, that's just, just how people are. People can be cruel, people can be mean. But I'm their kid. And I'm worried that my, you know, my my sister's kids have had to live through that shit. Grandkids have had to live through the Scarlet Letter, the the cancellation culture. It goes on from family. My life is completely different than what it it would have been had, one, had we been able to stay there, or two, there would have been some sort of practical restoration process. There was none of that. It was just go live your life, go out into the desert, and never come back unless you can pick yourself up by your bootstraps. People go, why does Jim Baker do what he does? He was never restored. He just did He just rebuilt something the best he could and put some parts, but no one ever sat down and said, how can we make this better? How can we make sure you're well? How can we take care of you? Or when he got out of prison, how can we make sure that your prison didn't affect you in this way or didn't do that? Or how's your mental health? That just didn't happen. Because people are more into either success or failure. Well, Jay, we don't have time to do that. The church has time to do a lot of shit, but I don't know why we don't have time to restore people and help people and love people, especially those people who've, who've given to us over the years. And then we have to see, you know, I wrote to Justice Chastain recently. I just said, wow, you know, it's so great that you're helping with my mom's legacy and people remembering that moment. And it's really great, you know, I wish she was here to see it, you know. And my mom was one who was like, you know, uh, she just lived life and she's like, oh well, no restoration, we're gonna make it anyway. You know, we're gonna live, you know, she she did her thing. But man, I was, I was just like, oh, it's so sad to me that mom didn't get to see how much that moment in time made for her. That's something that she just did because she thought was the right thing, you know? And, and what what's that moment of just doing the right thing has, has 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 done to her and brought her legacy. I think a lot of us in our lives always think about what is my legacy, you know? And it's sad to me that she didn't get to see it. You know, I wonder if she was restored and my parents stayed together and my mom was able to get, you know, afford to go to the doctors if she'd be alive today. I don't know. But the whole point is this, is that restoration is important. When we think we're above restoration, we're nothing. We, 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 we are not, we, we, we've missed the point. And when we go even further than that and decide to kick someone down when they have transgressed, and we decide to add to that and then sometimes drag their family members into that and drag the people they love into that and cause more grief and more strife, that is not Christianity, that is not love in any sense of Christianity or non-Christian or outside of Christianity, that is no by means any type of grace that beats upon people that way. And I've seen the church do it and I've seen people outside of the church do it. That's why to me this, this what we do here at Revolution is vital. It's like begging people to grasp some of the basics that we missed in the past and get back to those. I mean, that was one of the things. My mom was not a theologian by any stretch of the imagination. But love God loves you. Jesus loves you. Love your neighbor as yourself was so in her core that that's what she had to tell people. And that's what people remember. You know? Sometimes I think theologians, uh, which I'm an armchair theologian, I guess, we often get distracted by, well, this word says this, and this says this, and then we do this, you know? Well, pre-will, no free predestination, you know, fighting all over this crap as though it's like our... Our souls are dependent on it, you know? And why we fight over this, people go like, oh, I don't want anything to do with those guys, you know? And, and no one's loving anybody because we're like in our armchairs with our glasses going, oh, no, this, this, no, 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 this, this. You know, it's bullshit. Folks, what starts reformations and what started the biggest reformation was grace, the idea of grace. Grace alone. You know, Thomas uh, just posted on here on Facebook, love covers a multitude of sins. Thank God, because I got a multitude. You know, love covers a multitude of sins. But we honestly, here's the thing is, is I know I, I feel the struggle that a lot of you are feeling when we talk about restoration and what about this and what about that and what about this. And let's put it this way. I would say most of us don't believe in restoration. Most of us don't even believe it's possible. Unless you've probably been through a 12-step program and seen your whole life fall apart and then got a glimpse of life back. Or you've been through some really great therapy. But a lot of us don't believe in restoration. And that's why we don't do it. Or a lot of us don't believe people deserve restoration. I mean, I get it. That's why I always said maybe get different people from different denominations to help restore people so there's not all that anger and hurt, you know? Because sometimes you need to be restored when you're in your anger and hurt. You don't need to be the restorer. You probably need a little bit of restoration yourself to kind of put hope back into your own life and heal some of the pain in your own life because you were so hurt by that person you put your trust in. Trust me, I've been betrayed by so many people I love and care about and people I don't love and care about, and both are pretty bad. Both are pretty bad. And there does need to be time for restoration for that as well. (sighs) Well, that was the first five verses. (laughs) Uh, Thank goodness I forgot my watch. I'm at home. So my watch is my bedroom, but I'm not gonna walk over there. Now, now this this next part, um, verse six six, brings us back to what we were originally, what I was originally talking about. I'm gonna hit you with this. I've never used this for this. I don't think I've always scammed over it really fast because it makes me uncomfortable. Um, who ever thought Galatians six six would make me uncomfortable? Um, It says, those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teachers. (laughs) So if you feel like revolution is a great teaching tool and you're getting something from it, um, like I said earlier before, we could use your support. And if you could share some with your teachers to help us make this church happen, that would be great. You Um, You know, I promise my money goes towards rent, food for my kids, you know. Um, every now and then I buy a record, (laughs) but not very often. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I do like doing things. (laughs) I do like flea markets. (laughs) Hard to find here in the old Seattle area. I guess it's because of the rain. Um, me and my mom are always bargain hunters. Uh, Is there a patron? The reason Revolution doesn't have a patron is because we're a non-profit. And the reason I haven't done my own personal patron is because I've always wanted to support revolution's work and not take away from what revolution's doing. To You know, maybe one day I'll just do Jay Baker International. I don't know. That could happen. I'll see what my, my leaders advise me. Um, let's go on. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow worry of doing what is right, for we will reap the harvest time. We do not give up, so that whenever we have the opportunity, let us work, for the good of all, let us work for the good of all, especially fellow believers. Now, come on, guys, it's it really clear there. It's like, hey, maybe we should have a restoration center, you know? And it says especially believers, so maybe we should have a believer restoration center with the idea that eventually we have a, just a people restoration center. I mean, what do you think homeless outreach is and helping people get jobs? And I, you know, I worked with Safe House Outreach in Atlanta, you know, and 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 we fed people and we clothed people. But one of the cool things we did was is we helped people fill out. Um, applications for jobs and helped them learn certain things and helped, you know, had clothes donated and then they pick out a suit and some clothes that they had to get a job. And then when they got the job, they'd go pick out more clothes so they had clothes to go to work in. You know, like just the basic things of, of restoring people's lives back into this the system that, that we have to live in. You know, that, that was part, and that was so beautiful. You know, we forget these small things. You know, Um, and and what I like this, it says, do not be, when we go back to seven, it says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for you reap whatever you sow. And so you go like, oh, this seems a little heavy. Like, what is mocking God? Is that like a heavy metal album or putting a cross upside down or, you know, whatever? No, that, I mean, that might be kind of mocking God. I don't know. But to me, that's child's play. Okay. That is ridiculous stuff that I go, oh, you're so evil um <laughs> spooky <laughs> um but what, what i find more evil than that kind of crap or more mocking god is, is is what paul has been telling us the whole time is what he's saying here is we, we've got to take this letter into context and not just read them in like just like fortune cookie ways we've got to take it into context and he says you know when you because what he's saying is, is when you mock god is when you're a divided group of people just like this nation is completely divided and how each group is start their own faction, and that if you question that faction, then all of a sudden you're not part of that faction. You know, um, you know. I, like I said, I'm a lifelong Democrat. Lately, I I, I have questioned things about my party. And You know, I have people tell me, "Oh, have you been red pilled? Oh, are you conservative? Oh, are you? Oh, you listen to Russell Brand? You must be right wing." I'm like, "Well, Russell Brand's a socialist. Matter of fact, I'm a socialist. I'm a left wing socialist." You know, like. Are you kidding me? You know, but I've also been a lifelong Democrat. You know, like I can't even ask, you know. So when we do stuff like this, and I, I'm using that as an example for what we also do in church and what we also do in, when, when we do stuff like that and we have to be this always divided, you're in or you're out mentality that's happening that Paul is confronting the Galatians about, he's, this is what he's talking about when you're mocking God. He's saying when you don't restore other people, when you don't help others carry their burdens, uh, yeah, I think I might skip this part. Four, it says all must test their own work. Then their work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. And what I like about this is all carry their own loads. But in two, if you just go up right before, the list, it goes bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will be fulfilling the law. Of Christ, for those who are nothing think they are something they disobey. So it's saying bear each other's burdens, but then it goes down to saying this carry their own load. So, it's saying bear each other's burdens when you see somebody who has a burden that's too heavy, carry it. But don't just throw your load onto somebody else, don't just throw guilt onto somebody else, carry your own until you can't carry it, and then hopefully, someone will come along and help you carry it. You see, this is really interesting stuff when you really dissect it, take it apart, and look at the nuances. Because he's really referring to everything he's talked about—about about how he's trying to rebuild a community and bring two a divided group together. And honest, to God, this country needs this so desperately bad. I can't stand it. I can't stand this. This. Just this 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 way of thinking, you know? Um, this, this this like, binary thinking. It just drives me insane that we have. Right, left, conservative, liberal, woke, not woke. Yeah, I mean, it's like, come on, guys. We don't have room for gray anymore. What's going on? Like, if we don't even have room for gray, there's not, we don't have room to even be, no, what? And each one of us keeps throwing fire on it. It's not I don't think either group has been really good at saying, like, we're going to have hard conversations. But instead just, an, oh, well, then you're one of them. Oh, no, you're one of them. Like, we're killing our own even if we're in one of those factions. This is, not, this is where Christianity becomes a message of hope. This is where the new atheists miss it big time. This is where we come in, and this is where people in the past like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. have come in and bring hope to bring communities together. I mean, even Dr. King would say, it's not black and white. It's not about being black, it's not about being white. We've got to to come together. We've got misinformation. Yes, there are wrongs that need to be right. Yes, there are some things that need to be taken care of. And yes, there needs to be apologies, but there needs to be restoration that happens on both sides. As much as Dr. King was fighting for his black brothers and sisters, he was also fighting for the salvation and the hope for the white his white brothers and sisters as well that we would repent from racism and that we would see the errors of our ways and that we would all come together as a community. And so what is it, you know, I, I wrote this down um, when it says God is not mocked, I, I wrote what there was this always there was this whole question, what do I love when I love my God? And I always felt what I love when I love my God is I love the other. So how do I love God? I love my neighbor. I love the I love the least of these. So what do you mock when you mock the other? When we mock the other. When we, mock the, when we think we're too good for that. When we think we're... We, what do we mock when we mock the other? We mock God. We are mocking God. We are mocking grace. We are mocking the way. The way. The way of following Christianity. We are are mocking that when we mock the other. You know, it also talks about, you know, when, when, when Paul sits here and he talks about us not comparing ourselves to others, You know, often in our society, a lot of us compare ourselves to impossible beauty standards. But when we judge others, and when we condemn others, and we say how horrible and awful those people are, we're also comparing ourselves by saying, look at how horrible they are. Because when you're saying how horrible they are, you're going, thank God I'm not like them. Thank God I'm not like them. Thank goodness I'm better than them. So if you don't think you ever suffer from self-confidence, look at who you judge next time. Look at the people you point your fingers at. Those people you think you're better than them. Most of you probably think you're better than someone like my dad. You know? Um, and I get that. This is a hard road, and this is the road less traveled, but if you want to see the church survive, if you want to see a reformation, if you want to see uh, one last stand, I feel like it's in a Western, a few of us online riding down into the big city. (laughs) It's a good day to die, yep. (laughs) It's our last stand, yep. (laughs) Um, You know, we're bringing grace with us. Really great. I was kind of hoping we're bringing hell with us. Well, you know, we'll try to bring a little hell with us, but also grace, bringing grace with us. <laughs> great. Um, fantastic. <laughs> um, so when it says, do not be deceived, God will not be mocked. I've heard us preach in so many churchy ways, and it's just not any of those ways at all. What it's saying is is when you're fighting, when you're doing this, when you're trying to earn your own way, when you think you're better than somebody else, then you're mocking God. Isn't it crazy that, you know, it's asking us to be humble and gentle and kind with each other and try to accept each other and argue well? And I, and I think it might have been a bit easier back in the days when it was just the church, but I think, unfortunately, like with the edition of social media in the early, late 90s, early 2000s, uh, that, that's just, it spread like wildfire on there. It was like the perfect spreader with, 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 with social media and it showed us how petty we could be with everybody and with each other and how mean we could be and, and, and how like our lips literally just drip with venom. I mean, just seeing responses when I share my heart on things on social media, you don't wanna do it anymore. I mean, I probably don't share 90% of the things I think of, but last night, I just had it. Last night, I went on Twitter, and I had just had it, and something set me off, and I just had to do it. And I think there's a time for everything. And I said, you know, if you don't like the way I love my family, piss off. And to be honest with you, piss off was the most grace I could offer. The reason I said piss off was because I didn't want to say, come fight me. Because come fight me would be a different situation. So piss off is saying piss off because it's probably best for the both of us. Um... Uh, uh, thank you, Bill. Have a lovely day. We're almost done, folks. All right. So whenever we have the opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those of the family of faith. I used to not like this, especially those of family of faith, because I was like, we've got to work for everybody. But I think this is a situation where, you know, when you're on the airplane and it says, put your mask on first and then your child... Because it's like, if you pass out, your child's going to pass out. We're all going to pass out. Um, so you have to put your mask on first. And I think that's what, he, what Paul is saying here. Is you got to work, because if we're going to help other people, we got to make sure we're helping each other. You know? That's why I hope when I see people doing deconstruction, it breaks my heart to see people doing deconstruction who are just like all negative and angry about the church. too. because philosophical term for deconstruction has nothing to do with that, and it's actually word studies and things like that, which I think is actual real deconstruction, which I'd like to see more of. I think what we're seeing a lot of is more of like rethinking, Um, but deconstruction I think requires Greek and Hebrew and historical context and and, and really deep work, hard work, and and I don't think a lot of, hard work is usually hard, hard philosophical work or hard um, um, theological work is not usually very popular. <laughs> um, so I'll go there and say that. I'm not against uh, I, you know, I'm not like those other churches like it's going to lead you to hell. No, I don't, it's going to lead you to a better place if it's done right. It's great if you can really do it well. Um, now this is the last part Paul writes in his own words. And um, he says, See what large letters I make when I'm writing in my own hand. Because he Paul dictated his letters, it is to those I want to make a good. <clears throat> it is to those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that try to compel you to be circumcised. So he's saying they're only wanting you to be circumcised so how it reflects on them. And I, honestly, I have to tell you, a lot of churches only want you to be perfect when you're not there because it reflects on them. You know why? Because I did that when I first started. I felt the same thing. You get this, it's human nature to think, "Oh, I want everybody to think people in my church are the best people." You know. Um, Instead, I want them. You know, I would like everybody like, "Oh, they must go to revolution because you know they argue a lot, but they argue pretty well." Um, <laughs> they, they try to compel you to be circumcised, only that they may be the per- so only that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. And it's funny, like, even today, you know, it's Christianity becomes so passe. And, and, and like, oh, you believe in a man in the sky? I don't believe in a man in the sky, to be honest. I, I think of God differently. But even, like, today, to be, like, a Christian, ooh, it's so passe, you know. Um, but I, I, you know, and then some people preach all this horrible stuff, and they say, well, I'm preaching the cross, and you're fighting me because I'm preaching the cross. When it's like, no, I'm not fighting you because you're preaching the cross and fighting you because you're just mean and you're making it impossible for anybody to understand anything and you're not having good conversations or good arguments or you don't understand the Bible very much, very well. You know, we we, we should have better conversations. You need to learn more. Anyway. Even the circumcised do not themselves obey the law, but they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your flesh. So even these guys who circumcise, are giving you circumcised, don't obey the law, but they want to be able to brag about, oh, I had 15 guys, I got 27 circumcised. Does that sound any familiar? Like, we had 400 people saved at the crusade last week, right? I mean, they're all miserable and can't pay their bills, you know, and most of them, you know, some of them can end up homeless, but thank goodness we have the homeless ministry. Yeah, but other than they got saved, you know, like, saving... Salvation is the greatest thing. You know, it's missed the point. Are they in your community? Well, they're all saved. You know, they'll be in the community. And by the community, I mean they'll be in church on Sunday and Wednesday. But that's not community. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything. As for those who will follow the rule, peace be upon them and mercy and upon Israel of God, from now on, let no one make trouble for me, for I carry the marks of Jesus' brand on my, branded on my body. And when Paul said he carries the marks of Jesus' brand on his body, um, he, like it's like if you could have an x-ray of my brain, you could see it's probably pretty wounded. Um, Paul literally had been beaten, dragged through the streets. But he was eventually wrapped in animal skins and fed to wild dogs, and that's how he was killed. More than likely, historically, that's more like, I mean, people say he was beheaded, but more than likely, he was fed to wild animals. Um, from now on, let no one make trouble for me, for I carry the marks. I wish I could be, this could be my last revelation, but from now on, guys, don't you trouble me. I carry in the marks, you know, I carry the marks on my brain. So you go out there and you argue well. Farewell! <laughs> Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way anymore. Uh, (laughs) and paul ends this way with our beautiful galatians may you know he's he, he ends with a real what are you doing you insane bastards to may the grace of our lord jesus christ be with you in spirit brothers and sisters amen so what seems harsh ends with this lovely note of be with you. God be with you. It ends with, please restore each other. Please take care of each other. Please stop arguing about these things. Please be in community. Please don't think you're too good for each other. Please don't make grace, death, and vain. Please don't bite and devour one another. I guess maybe politics today is our circumcision in the world. I don't know. Um because it really seems like I argue a lot less with people about theology. I haven't even had a really good argument with the neo calvinist in a while. Um, It's been years. So it seems like I, I argue more with people about politics, nuances of politics, than I do theology. So maybe this political stuff is our circumcision, and uh, that's what we got to have these tough conversations about. But if you think about that letter, Paul wasn't really talking about or cared about circumcision because it doesn't make a difference. What he cared about is how these people were treating each other and dealing with each other over circumcision. So there's something to think about, and you have to remember that for Paul, this was something that he was raised in believing was very sacred and he was able to say, this is something that is no longer sacred. He was able to kill the sacred cows in his life. He was able to shift and have a change along the way and encourage others to do so with the hope that they would be in a community and at least argue well and at least love amongst each other and not kill each other and at least maybe not hang out all the time, but when someone falls, pick them up and restore them. How? Gently. We restore how? Gently. How do we restore? Gently. Be gentle with each other. See how that works. I love you guys. I appreciate you. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your life. For 28 years. I can't even believe it. I still feel like a kid. I'll see you next week.